Hey, everybody. Today is Monday, January 22nd, 2024. Coming up on the show today, from the Peacock original series, Ted, editor Tom Costantino. The difference was that in the Orville, you sort of get the show together and then you tweak once the stuff comes in, visual effects-wise, a little bit of pacing. But this is like you're doing multiple layers of editing as the bear advances. VFX supervisor and puppeteer Blair Clark. For the blocking, we would do a stuffy pass with them, which was a little stuffed bear representation that was the same size and everything. And the actors would get a sense, okay, that's where he's going to be during this part of the line. But then during the takes, he wouldn't be there. So that's usually okay if it's just like a two shot. But if you get multiple actors in there, trying to make sure that they're all looking at the same spot can be a trick. VFX coordinator and puppeteer, Ali Mitchell. There is a scene where Ted is trying to teach John how to take a bra off and he's wearing a bra and he has tissue stuffed in it. And we asked our key grip, Stu, to build a little rig for us. So he took like a half apple or pancake or something and screwed in some stuff and we like put the torso on and we attached the bra and everything. And then there was a point where we're like, is that how you take a bra off? It turned into a conversation that we tried to end quickly, but I was like, this isn't how you take a bra off. And assistant editor Justin Ulrich. I remember Bart, one of the editors on the show, called me into his office because that scene, we couldn't figure out a turn of Ted because he just he just does a simple turn and the coverage didn't make sense to us because it was an empty plate. So that bra chaos followed us all the way through editorial. Yes, all that and more on this edition of The Rough Cut. Hey there, welcome to the show. I missed you last week. I know, I know, you were here, I was the one that wasn't. Sorry about that. A lot going on at the moment. Most of which has to do with where I am right now, which is Sundance. Alright, technically I'm not at Sundance right now, but if you're listening to this when it comes out on the 22nd, I will be. And will have been. Hopefully I'm having a good time. Anyway, that is a big part of why there was no show last week, and why, spoiler alert, there likely won't be one next week either. But things should be back on track in February. The good news is we are both here today, and we have something fun to talk about and some fun people to talk to, or with. Perhaps you recall the feature films Ted and Ted 2 about the foul-mouthed teddy bear who came to life. There's a little more to it than that, but that's the headline. Well, Ted creator Seth MacFarlane has teamed up with Peacock to bring his salty and sentient stuffed animal to the small screen. To help him do that, Seth relied upon some familiar and some new faces on set and in the cutting room, starting with his right-hand man behind the avid editor Tom Costantino. In fact, we had Tom on the podcast at one point to discuss his work on Seth's sci-fi original, The Orville. Another Orville team member, Tom's assistant editor, Justin Ulrich, also handled assisting and even some cutting on Ted. Someone else Seth has worked with before is Blair Clark, who handled VFX and puppeteering duties on the Ted features. Finally, somebody new in the McFarland Cinematic Universe is Ali Mitchell, who did VFX coordination and puppeteering for Ted the series. And what a story she has about her background coming into the show and her experiences on it. Yes, lots to talk about with those four. I think you'll have fun. But before I let them loose on you, let's talk real quick about a few more things. As I said, Allie, Tom, Blair, and Justin have a great story to tell, and they reference a lot of fun things that happen on the set and in the cutting room. It would be great if there was a visual reference to go along with that story. Well, good news, there is. You can head on over to blog.frame.io slash the rough cut to see an enhanced transcription of the podcast, complete with behind-the-scenes images, timeline shots, even a candid photo of Stu, the key grip, plus some other fun things. You can even listen to the podcast on the blog page and follow along with all that great stuff. 
Once again, that's blog.frame.io slash the rough cut, or you can just click that link in the podcast show notes. Which one is it? Well, it's the link right next to the one that says extreme music. Who's extreme music, you ask? Clearly, this is your first time on the podcast, so I will tell you. Extreme music is the industry leader in the world of great production audio. Why do you need great production audio? Well, I hate to say it, but your next movie or TV show just won't be as great without it. The good news is extreme music makes it so easy to get top shelf tracks from the biggest names in the business. Their powerful search engine makes it so simple to peruse their enormous catalog using musical metadata like tempo, genre, composer, mood, and so on. You can even upload a track you like to extreme music and they'll find you ones like it. As far as the licensing goes, you can take care of all of that on the website. Or if you just need a friend, you can talk to one of their reps at an office near you. So the next time you have a story to tell, tell it with great tracks from Extreme Music. I have a great story to tell. Actually, the team from TED has a great story to tell. I just recorded it. Won't you please welcome Tom Costantino, Blair Clark, Allie Mitchell, and Justin Ulrich. Well, it'll be intentional until it isn't. <laughs> yeah. All you up-and-comers heard it directly from Tim Costantino. <laughs> Constantino. Constantino. Well, I'm going to go change my passport. You guys uh, finish up here. <laughs> All right. I think we should get rolling. You know, we are what I consider blessed to have a big crew and also a very diverse crew in terms of production and post-production. I think the most appropriate way to begin things today, of course, is to talk about everyone's role on the show and how they got the job. Blair, I think coming from the feature, Ted, I thought maybe we should start with you. So tell me about what you do on the series, Ted, and, and how you got the gig. I am the visual effects supervisor on the series, and I got the gig because I was the visual effects supervisor on both features and Seth's Western. They knew the trouble they'd get into, so they, they figured, well, we know how to deal with him. I think there's a lot of in Hollywood, we already know how to deal with him that goes on. Yeah. Speaking of which, Tom Costantino. Hi. Apparently Seth already knows how to deal with you, but tell me about <laughs> your role on TED and how you got the gig. It was kind of similar-ish to uh, the little space show. Um, I was... Uh, I was editor, then then lead editor again, and then uh, co-producer. And uh, I mean, basically, they unplugged one Nexus and plugged it into another. <laughs> so that was kind of it. It's that easy, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, Allie, we've already established that you probably weren't alive when the feature Ted came out, <laughs> and we're all still recovering from that fact. Sorry. That said, tell us what you do on the series, Ted, and how you got the gig. So I helped Blair with puppeteering on set, and then I worked as visual effects coordinator in post. I got the job through one of my college dance teachers who worked on the Orville. They asked her for a recommendation of someone to help, and she recommended me. I had no puppeteering or visual effects background, but was willing to learn, and they were telling Blair he needed someone to assist him. So <laughs> we worked together, and they kept me on during post, and I learned a lot. Well, I have to say, you have the distinction of being the first puppeteer I think I've ever had on the show. There's two. Yeah, Blair was puppeteer as well. Yeah. <laughs> did you puppeteer as well? Are you credited that way? I did. I wasn't on the series, but I think I am in the feature. At least one of them. Yeah. Okay, that was it. And last but not least, first assistant, Justin, tell us all about, uh, well, I kind of gave it away a little bit, but tell us about your role on the show and how you got the gig. Well, I'm the first assistant editor on TED. Uh, basically, just followed Tom on to TED from the Orville directly. I think we had a week overlap and uh, no downtime. So three years with this guy. Yeah. Oh, my God. And you're still smiling. Still smiling somehow. Yeah. And he's our um, visual effects secret weapon. Yeah, in-house visual effects, I don't know, secret weapon we'll go with. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I can't let that pass without, what does that mean, visual effects secret weapon? 
lot of in-house opticals kind of came up on a VFX background on some Netflix and other NBC shows. Uh, so just if we needed to paint a boom mic out last minute, that was me. <laughs> so what you're saying is a good first assistant can do a lot of different things. Sure. <laughs> How many shots did you stabilize on House of Cards? Oh, that's too many to count. In the thousands? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oof. All right. Well, let's go back to the features for Ted and Blair, your experience on those. Mm -hmm. Were you able to draw from or leverage anything from working on those films? And, and it could be just experience or literally any techniques or assets even that you might have utilized on the features. Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, we were able to use the same companies that worked on the features. Framestore, which was at that point was Allura in Melbourne and Tippett Studio in Berkeley. And they both of those companies worked on both features. So they had kind of the lexicon of, of movement and character, and they'd kind of developed Ted through those. So, you know, we really benefited from having them on this so we could just use their experience. And they also had the Ted asset. So that had to be kind of remade because it had outlived its longevity as far as technical things, but uh, they rebuilt it and redid the fur sim and everything and shared it. And it was great. That was the main thing. The TED asset, is it like a 3D file or what is a TED asset? Yeah, it's the 3D, the CG character that would be rendered, animated and rendered. And so he was getting a little long in the tooth and had to be rebuilt. A little bit, yeah. Okay. It happens to all of us. Yeah. <laughs> For the rest of you that did not work on the feature going into the series, do you go back and watch those films for a sense of tone or visual style, or is that just not necessary? I actually did. I mean, I, I obviously saw them both, and I'm actually a big fan of Ted, too. I, I love the them going to uh, the New York Comic Con, but I didn't watch it the same way. I, I sort of looked at individual scenes and timings and uh, little character moments, so I could sort of just like have it in the back of my mind because you're basically editing with an invisible plate. You know, there's just a plate and nobody and nothing. So yeah. you got to have it in here to sort of like fill in the blanks. And for you, Allie, you're literally going to be bringing Ted to life. Did you look at those films just to figure out how he quote moves and the way you would apply your skills to that? First, when I was being interviewed for the job, Blair called me and <laughs> wanted to make sure I knew the content of Ted. And so I was like, yes. And I rewatched it because I'd seen it probably when I was too young, but I rewatched it. And then once I started working on the show in pre-production, I watched a lot of the behind the scenes videos from the features, which were very helpful because I got to see more of the puppeteering that Blair was doing and how that is applied to the animation. With a sci-fi show like The Orville, clearly there's going to be a lot of visual effects. Although I think anyone that ever saw the sets for that show would also be surprised how much detail goes into the practical aspects of it. At least I was. Ted's not in space, not this season anyway. In fact, it takes place in the past, but it would seem the VFX load for Ted would be even greater considering that the star is in almost every scene and almost every shot. Yeah. And the star isn't actually there. Yeah. So how do the two shows compare from a VFX standpoint? Actually, if you think about the Orville, maybe 15% is CG characters. So we did have the experience. This is less shots, but the amount of work that goes into those shots and the, and the, uh, the levels of sort of working and reworking are, are very intense. Um, I mean, it's good to have the knowledge of imagining a, a creature 
being in the frame, but you know, he's the main character. So the difference was that in the Orville, you sort of get the show together and then you tweak once the stuff comes in visual effects wise, a little bit of pacing, but this is like, you're doing multiple layers of editing as the bear advances. And then there were some other challenges, which Blair and Ali can talk about, you know, turning things into 1993 snow, oh, yeah, all yeah. that other stuff. If you want to take it from there. Yeah. I, the other thing that the features and this kind of the challenge, one of the challenges was uh, the fact that he wasn't there was a challenge for the actors as well. You know, cause we would do a stuffy pass with them, which was a little stuffed bear representation that was the same size and everything. And one of us, you know, Ali usually would, would puppeteer it through the scene for the blocking and the actors would get a sense and the operators, camera operators would know, okay, that's where he's going to be during this part of the line. But then during the takes, he wouldn't be there. So that's usually okay if it's just like a two shot. But if you get multiple actors in there, trying to make sure that they're all looking at the same spot can be a trick, you know? And then sometimes you, you always get the one actor who's probably amazing at everything, but for some reason he's looking three feet to his left of where Ted is. So then you have to try and motivate that in in post other ways but it's tricky that way with orville it was i feel like it was a lot more predictable vfx like they're standing on the bridge on a blue screen you know stars are going to be in the background at some point with ted there were so many shots that surprised me as they came in and it was just comedy motivating animation and uh yeah, yeah. just a bit more unexpected i'd say <laughs> and seth is like serious about i mean it's very serious about eye lines on the orville especially the bridge because you know, you had 11 people all talking to each other. And if the eye lines are off, it, it, it breaks the illusion of the conversation. Yeah. So that that methodology was brought into into Ted, you know, and it's all about making the really the main character feel and be real. So that attention to detail is pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times during the stuff he passed, he'd be telling the actors, uh, Try looking at his nose. Look at his nose. And they'd like that. And he goes, yeah, that's good. And then we'd take the stuffy away. And most of the times they would hit it. We were fortunate that most of the actors were always really, really good as far as maintaining the eye line and really selling the fact that he was there in an empty plate. Well, with any feature or TV series, there's going to be varying degrees of connectivity between production and post. For something like this, it seems like it's got to be just really tight for all the things you just talked about. Blair, you gave us kind of an overview, but I'd like to really drill down. Hmm. So let's start at the beginning of how each of these shots work. On set, what is the first step for each VFX shot? Is it that stuffy pass or does it start even before that? Well, I mean, before we would look at the script and see if there were any special needs for the scene, but for the most part, the first step would be the stuffy pass. And then after that, they would go for the real take. They would be rolling on the stuff you pass so that the editors can use that and the animators can reference it as well. But the real take wouldn't have the stuffy in it. Once they got all of their takes, we would do some lighting information passes like a chrome ball, HDRI. We would do some environmental stuff if we needed to see shadows or if Ted's sitting on the couch, sometimes we would like push down on the cushions. And that was pretty much it for all the different passes. Yeah, Seth likes to roll just kind of take after take without cut. So we would get long take of three, four setups. First one is almost always the stuffy pass. So we would script that as a stuffy pass, just as you would, as, as thorough as that take would be, as uh, complete. And then uh, we'd basically do the rough cut of the scene and then go back and in the bottom right corner, I think it was, I've honestly forgotten, which is a great sign. We would put the stuffy pass for the animators 
just where he was on screen. We'd freeze it if it wasn't long enough, but uh, yeah, we'd use that stuff he passed after the initial cut of the scene. We'd also get, um, you know, there'd be takes where the three cameras are rolling and there are three plates and it's sort of hard to know which plate is which, you know, and then, and then there's always readjustment in the plate. So you spend a lot of time working on character, but then I'm guessing where Ted's going to be and what he's doing in the scene, you know, like at my mind's eye. And then I think also Seth is also on set is he's probably about 70 or 80% there, but as he's working the scene, he's evolving. And then as he comes in with me, we are both working it together to create what we think Ted's going to be and what could be a two, three, four minute, seven scene. Then uh, later on, I'll get into the refinement editing, but basically it's just a voice that he records on set that he would re-record pre-strike, of course, either for tone, acting, punching up a joke, uh, sometimes there were, you know, it, it took a little bit of experimenting because he's got some gear on to like get good quality audio. So I was cutting to basically like temp audio. So we'd have to redo it once he went into the booth and in real time, like he'd run to the booth, back to the booth, back to the booth, build that scene out with his real Ted audio. Well, you mentioned the three cameras. I never even really thought about that aspect of it. Blair, for a show like this and the VFX demands that you have with a character like Ted, mm -hmm. does that require more cameras? Does it put a limitation on the number you can have or where you can place them, or does it really not matter? It matters as far as, well, you know, when we're shooting, you just have to kind of get all the information that you're going to need, like all the things that, that Ali kind of mentioned, like the, the reference stuff. You have to get those cleanly for each camera. And then after we see a cut that, that Tom does, then we'll kind of start to figure out how many shots we have and things like that. But we just have to make sure that we have accurate information for each one of those camera setups. Allie, I think you mentioned reading the script first and looking for any special needs. I should have asked, what defines a special need? Is it the way the actors would be interacting with Ted? Is it props? What do you look for to make you think, okay, I'm going to have to prepare differently for this scene than I would on another? Definitely interaction and props. This was one of the main reasons I was hired. So when Ted <laughs> holds something, it's animated. But if Tom is in a scene and he holds it, it's real. So if there's ever a pass off, we need to see that practical pass off for the animators to be able to pick up from the practical handoff. So anytime Ted hands money to John or they're handing a Coke can to someone, we need to have someone come in, grab the item as Ted, and then try to duck out of the shot. So I spent a lot of time under tables and beds and all sorts of things, just grabbing something and hiding. And there are a lot of special instances like that. Other times, if an actor is hugging Ted, sometimes we would use a piece of the stuffy for that to help them. So I would try to fly it in as subtly as possible. <laughs> You know, you said that you hadn't done puppeteering before. What skills in your background did you rely upon most heavily that you were able to employ working with Ted? Well, I went to school for musical theater and had a big emphasis on dance. I do yoga and aerial silks as well. So just general flexibility and being able to move around and be quick on my feet. Yeah, wasn't your onset title The Contortionist? Yeah. <laughs> the, I was referenced as The Contortionist when I was first hired we had like page turn meetings and Seth didn't know my name yet and he was referring to me as a contortionist and I kept looking at Blair I was like I'm gonna get fired because I'm not a contortionist but I can I can do what the job needs but I'm not a contortionist 
I got to say the final product, there's a lot of interact, especially for a TV series, there's a lot of interactivity with a CG character and real humans. And it's flawless. Yeah. You know, out of all the things, I'm like, there's a shot where it's just, there's a handoff. And it's a long pullback. It's the end of one of the episodes. And I'm, and you don't, Ted's there. Yeah. I mean, they seamlessly hand off like a transparent bomb. It's incredible. Like, just, you can't tell. Yeah. 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 The companies that did it did a really good job with, with that. They would have to build a CG representation of the props because you don't want to have it CG through the whole time. Like if there's a handoff for money, like Ali was talking about, you don't want to have to be animating and rendering that money when it's in the actor's hand. So that's why she would fly in and hand it to them and then it could continue that way. But the company's frame store and tip, it did an amazing job with these, these props that had to be handed off because the, the bong not only is transparent, but it's got water sloshing around in it too and smoke coming out of it and stuff. So all of that had to link up to when that transition is to the, to the real prop. Yeah. And Ted smokes a lot of weed in the show. Allie, I didn't even want to go there with you and ask about that. <laughs> and I don't think Seth knows Tom's name yet either. So don't feel bad. Oh, that's not true. No, no. No. Tim is one of his favorite editors. <laughs> yes. He's the post contortionist. Tim's a good editor. Tim's a good editor. No, no. Actually, uh, I'm proud to say that Seth knows everyone on this call and is very appreciative of them. I believe it. <laughs> a few times we've talked about extra elements to help on-set performance with Ted. Other data that you would capture on-set, I think you mentioned, I heard the, the letters HDRI. I know a lot of times they'll work with sticks with tennis balls on the end. Mm -hmm. What are those ancillary pieces that you work with on-set that you have to keep track of? Usually the, like the sticks with the tennis balls on the end are usually for any kind of interaction with the actors. Like, like in the features, we had a lot of shots where Ted would be kind of punching or roughhousing with Mark Wahlberg. And so we would have to go in with tennis balls and, and it would kind of deform the clothes and kind of give some interaction that later on the animators could kind of key into and, and use to their advantage. So Justin, for you, having to manage so much of the stuff, the processes that go on between post-production and production, are those other things that you have to keep track of? Does that introduce anything new to you or is it kind of just like what you would have done on the Orville? Oh, I would say it's nothing like what we did on the Orville. This was very much a learn day of, uh, figure it out as we go, kind of change practice the following week if something made more sense timeline-wise. Uh, yeah, it was just a lot of figuring it out as we go. <laughs> And other than older technology, you know, the sticks or the tennis balls, were there other tools that you would use to help the actors interact with a non-existent CG bear? I think somebody mentioned a laser pointer. Mm -hmm. Other than Seth saying, hey, look at the nose and then pulling the bear away and going, all right, try and remember where that nose is. Is there anything else you could do on set to help the actors that way? Laser pointer was a good one, especially for scenes where Ted was going to like jump off the couch and run across the room. You know, I'd usually be standing out of camera with the laser pointer just waiting, you know, and then as soon as he would do that, I'd track it across the floor and then their eye lines, they could follow the laser pointer. And generally it, you would never register that they're looking at a point on the floor. It would just, they'd just follow him. But you guys have the eye line tool. The eye line tool. We, yeah. we also had the, yeah, we also had the eye line tool, which is basically eyes on a stick yeah. that you could adjust the height. So we would put that in place sometimes, either if it was too difficult to keep the eye line or you wouldn't see the eye line tool in the frame, or there were a lot of characters in the scene, we would put that in because it's a lot easier for the animators to paint out and put Ted over than an actual stuffy. Yeah, if he's kind of stationary. 
we would put that in there and then we could either just usually just cover it with a CG bear. Yeah. Sometimes we would do like just a little piece of tape as well to help with eyeline. Yeah. There was a lot of plate manipulation too. You know, it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we did a lot of speed ups and at some point in this conversation, I'm sure we'll get into the stages, but the camera team did a good job. But once again, all of us, including Seth are guessing. Yeah. And I did feel like there was a lot of, and this is the great thing about Seth is like, he knew in his mind's eye what the final product was going to be. So we would rework plates to make sure that the animators had a fighting chance of getting the bear up the stairs in a funny way. There were a lot of people, you know, watching the cuts and they wouldn't understand why there'd be this long shot of this emptiness going up a flight of stairs or down a flight of stairs. And and the, and the natural tendency to be like to cut it, it's slowing down the show or it feels slow and, and, and him constantly along with me and everyone here fighting that instinct to not let Ted be himself help the end product. But the eye lines seem totally natural or the, the pointers seem totally natural as it goes along, but we'd have to do stuff and then Justin would have to clean up the plate. And then obviously the VFX team did amazing work. Yeah. Well, Justin is the VFX secret weapon. So yes, he is. it seems more and more that even in what everyone understands to be the offline phase and like, this isn't finished, just relax but that there is a need to make things look more and more finished during these earlier review cycles. Yeah. We talked about the things that Blair and Allie did to try and make the process work better on set. In post, how much effort are you putting in to try and clean that stuff up, even in the early phases? You talked about manipulating plates, but are you bothering to go in and remove things and tweak things and shift things, even knowing like, well, we're not even close to being done yet. This scene could change a lot. Well, here's the thing. Normally, there's like that dog and pony show with studios and stuff where you, you want to make your most polished cut. This, because it, it came from a feature mentality and we were basically doing two and a half features in a, in a one feature timeline, we did a lot of work. We had like a lot of sound design and stuff, but Seth and I would pull it out so that way the animators were free to do things. There wasn't the cuts were pretty dry. It was really focused so that Blair and Allie and the VFX companies could do their work. Like we knew what it was going to be. So the studio would get it and be like, you're going to put some music here. Is there going to be like some, something down the stairs? And we had it in, but you know, just to sort of like punch it up like you normally do. The only time we did it is, you know, we did some testing of the pilot and a couple of their episodes And then we added stuffies in and we really polished that cut so that, you know, they could have the viewing experience. But it was more of like an assembly factory to to make sure that the end product was good versus like having to, you know, please some people in the interim as to what it was going to be. And thank God for Seth, you know, he's he's done this before and he's very successful. And, you know, after a little bit of conversation everybody let him just do his process. And I think the show is better for it. I remember really early on, I built up like a Ted sound effects kit, you know, footsteps, just Foley if he gets up. And yeah. eventually we just stopped putting those in because it was like, I think it was Seth said, we don't want that to motivate the animation. So as thorough as our sound work was, it was still like just empty pockets of Ted, you know, if he runs across the room. Yeah, I was in Seth's office, you know, early on, I was in Seth's office on set banging, uh, like one of the leftover Ted to bears making bear sounds and, you know, <laughs> other mechanical sounds for my toolkit. And I, and for the Orville, and by the way, sometimes 
some of our sound design in there, Seth, especially in the in the post mix stage, he's very happy with our temps. So there's certain iconic things that help timing that he loves and that stuff didn't come out but like random bear footage or any of the stuff where i turn into foley man we were we were limiting that ali since you were called the contortionist i want to ask you what was the most challenging scene or aspect of being ted Ooh, there is a scene where ted is trying to teach john how to take a bra off and he's wearing a bra and he has tissue stuffed in it and he's running around so first of all, the stuff he passed was really scary because I was trying to run the bear around and Max, who plays John, was trying to chase me. But it's like, how do you replicate that without Ted? So we we got that part out of the way. I can't remember if we use a laser pointer or if we just let Max do his thing. And then the animators were great and they kind of just went along with it. Yeah. Then there's a point where the bra gets taken off and the tissues fall out and we were trying to not make it. To, I mean, it was very difficult for the animators, I'm sure, and we were trying to make it as easy as we could. So we had, we have, um, we call it our stunt stuffy, and it's one of the stuffies, all of his body parts come apart. So we just have his torso. And we made our, or we asked our key grip, Stu, to build a little rig for us. So he took like a half apple or pancake or something and screwed in some stuff. And we like put the torso on and we attached the bra and everything so that the character could pull it off and the tissue could fall down. And then there was a point where we're like, is that how you take a bra off? It was, it was just, it was a very interesting scene to film. And <laughs> I was so nervous about it, but yeah. it, it turned yeah. out great. Bunch of grips and stuff trying yeah. to figure out, no, <laughs> how do you take a bra off? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it turned into a conversation that we tried to end quickly, but I was like, yeah. this isn't how you take a bra off. <laughs> I remember Bart, one of the editors on the show, called me into his office because that scene, he, we, we couldn't figure out a turn of Ted because he just he just does a simple turn and the coverage didn't make sense to us because it was an empty plate. So that bra chaos followed us all the way through editorial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we had challenges with it in when Ted was animated in it too, because we were like, we think he's facing the wrong way or something. It was mm -hmm. really hard to tell because the rug was so big and like yeah. monotonous that we couldn't tell where he was on the ground. It's just, it's a chaotic scene. He's just bouncing around. <laughs> yeah, you get the three cameras and then the, the lines and the rug all of a sudden are kind of, oh, yeah. yeah. Both of those, the, the eyeline tool and that, that broad disconnector thing, those were the two creepiest like mechanisms. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you've seen like the ET that's been in storage where all the all the rubber's like <laughs> worn off. It's, it's like what it is. Yeah. So you're already uncomfortable while you're doing it. But thank God, Bart Rockmill and Hillary Wills, you know my cohorts from the Oriville came in for a little while, and we we all conquered those scenes together. God bless them for helping. Mm -hmm. Why is the key grip always named Stu? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one. Yeah, there's only one. There's only one. Mm -hmm. There's only one. Every grip. show. It's, He's yeah. worked on everything. Stu. Yeah. And his son and his grandson were both yeah. on the set as well. So there was a whole legacy of Stu's. Yeah. I'm going to remember that. Legacy of Stu's. I like that. <laughs> well, they, they weren't named Stu, but. Uh, Stu <laughs> is a delightful. Stu's real people. I get it. No, he is. <laughs> yeah. Also on the Orville. Really? Yeah. A few times we've referenced, I think, Tom, you even said, like, hey, at some point we'll get into the stages. I think we've touched on a lot of them, but why don't we just sort of lay it right out there? Just what are the stages that you go through here? Well, Ali pretty much covered the onset stages. After that, the biggest one is Seth will get in a mocap suit. So we've got that. So he does pretty much all the scenes after the sound is cut and after everything is assembled so that he can perform it 
in situ of the of the scene and he'll do mocap which which gives us you know a really solid place to start with the animation so a lot of it is used exactly as it is and then things like facial stuff and mannerisms hand gestures and all that stuff we usually take a little bit of license with just to kind of emphasize certain things but always following his timing because his timing is just it's kind of amazing watching him do this because he's like a machine it's just just scary dead on every time and very clear and you know a lot of times he'll be trying to explain something to me and they'll like i'll get it and then he'll perform it and it's like oh it's so clear and perfect well, sometimes because we would watch it just to also because he would throw questions out at all of us actually we'd so we'd be behind the mocap equipment just sort of like taking notes and stuff but mm-hmm. sometimes when i was looking down or god forbid had to answer somebody on twitter about the orville which i have cut cold turkey <laughs> i'd hear what i thought was playback over and over again but it was seth redoing the lines with the acting to the literal frame and tonality as to what was in the scene. Yeah. Again and again and again. You're like, uh, uh, uh. It's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty wild and very helpful. Yeah. So the mocap and then basically the cuts get sent to the to the companies and they start the animation process, which they, they block it first. Then we can see, make sure that he's doing basically what he needs to be doing and covering all the beats and everything. And then they kind of refine it over a series of processes. We have like temp animation and final animation. And then we get into lighting and compositing. And it, so it's a, it's a whole process. Each, each shot goes through a pretty severe detailed process from the beginnings of it to the final kind of render. And then it goes back to, to Tom. <laughs> well, before Tom goes into his stages, just hearing you talk about all that stuff, it must take forever to do this show. How long does it take to do an episode of Ted? I don't know that we can answer that question, honestly, like logically. Yeah. 18 months? 16? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we, we didn't work on every show. You know, it was all kind of everything was, was happening at the same time, and it was kind of scheduled in like a waterfall kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think you got to look at it as like there's no degradation or there's no loss of quality if anything there's parts of it that are better than the features from a visual effects standpoint so you really got to think we cut two and a half features in the in the timeline of one feature yeah so somehow we did it editorial post and the vfx team managed and without any loss of quality or or having you know Seth was obviously understanding, but, you know, he believes in a very high level of production. So it's not like standard TV, eight days, we do our thing. It's like we're constantly working in an open flow. Since you brought up comparing it to the feature, Blair, is the process the same from a VFX standpoint from your work on the features to the series? Yeah, it turned out to be. Yeah, because this this was really my first TV series because I'd always done features. So I was was a little nervous going in because I was like, oh, boy, you know, because I'd heard stories about how TV is different and it's a lot more fast paced. And it ended up being even on set, you know, people were commenting, this is this is more like a feature. So it really didn't change for us. I mean, it was just the schedule was the the big thing. We had all the same steps and everything. It was just truncated into this very small timeline. 
There were a couple of things, you know, we had people at the studio that believed in the product mm -hmm. who understood that the level we were working at. And then we have Seth who is luckily has the clout to make sure that that happens. Cause I've seen lesser productions get crushed into that. And early on, at least from a production and post, there were attempts to build a better mousetrap, but you can't rush quality. So the feature method worked the best. And Seth was pretty stringent as far as quality control. He wouldn't let anything to slip, which none of us wanted. Yeah. Which so was great. He was he was kind of like the guardian that we could all go. He won't make us have to kind of sell this. <laughs> you know, it needs yeah. to be right. No, as a matter of fact, trying to sell him on something that's half-assed is just don't do it. He respects all of us working at the level that he works at. Yeah. And when I've seen people try and do it, and it's always the same. You get to know his responses pretty, pretty fast. Someone's selling bad wares again. <laughs> and they'll walk away thinking like, okay, he bought it. And everybody else is like, there's no way. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> just, yeah. All right, Tom. So what were the rest of the phases on the post side? Well, I want to compliment Justin, the master of the turnovers, because <laughs> like there was so much interactivity in addition to the fact that he was doing all these 15,000 other roles and his first co-edit role on the Christmas episode. Very exciting. But look, it's like, you know, in a regular show, you got the editor's cut, you got the director's cut, you got the producer's cut, you got the studio network cut, whatever you do this here. It's because we're, we're sort of internal and we would show the studio the progress, but it was like, it was like my cut, which could only go so far because I was working with temp audio then Seth and I would do our thing like we did on the Orville. We would re-record some of the dialogue. We'd punch some stuff up. We'd figure out some camera angles together. We'd work through some scenes. And that's sort of what went off to VFX to start. Then they would do their process and they'd, they'd put the mocap in and they, they'd get that going. As shots were coming in in temp phases, Seth would do a review. And then we'd go back in and sort of recut the show over time rebuilding the sequences pulling frames speeding up plates speeding up sometimes to help the gang out like making these sort of janky um edits into the animation you know like pull frames or make his hands move faster like they did an amazing stuff on their own but sometimes it was easier for seth just to do it with me to get his point across and then that would go to justin and go back to the vfx team to get another shot then when all the final animation, as you called it, like literally, you know, not, not that every shot was final, we would then recut the show for timing. And that was sort of like the final pass. We'd pull air out, we'd change a few things, lose a couple of shots. I'd have some, you know, there were shots that like Seth and I put in or he put in or I put in that we thought it would be something more, but doesn't need to be there because now the character's in. And that would be our real final, like for lack of a better word, if you want to be cheesy comedy pass. But there were probably five separate edits over time. We talked a lot about Ted, the character, the work that Blair and Allie have to put into making him work on set. Other than the character, what other visual effects did you have to worry about and probably more traditional things that you would think about on a show, maybe like the Orville? Well, we had another character in, in one episode, Dennis the Truck. So um, we had a, a separate company work on that, Fuse, and they did an amazing job. And that was basically... Um, He's kind of an inanimate object that comes to life. So he's a, he's a toy truck. So what they, you know, Seth wanted minimal movement. So he didn't want it to go full cartoon and full like Pixar. So we kind of kept it just around the bumper 
and just kind of in the in the front of the grill. And they did a great job. They did a really good job with that. It's like he's he's this kind of feisty Archie Bunker type character. <laughs> yeah, so there yeah. was a lot of a lot of character to work with. And Blair puppeteered him mostly with this longer metal rod. There's a scene where Dennis is on the couch and Stu <laughs> yeah. ended up cutting a hole in the couch for Blair to be able to puppeteer him. I remember finding that hole in the couch during dailies. Like, what? what is... Oh, it's a yeah. hole. Oh, and the oh, stuffing was everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and those scenes were more fun to cut because there was an actual truck yeah. being moved by Blair that, like, I was able to look for things where the truck would do, like, a little something. So it was more traditional editing, and that was sort of, like, a nice break from it all. And also because the truck was there, and it, this happened a lot, like there was a lot of split screen work, which of course was then handled by the VFX team to, to sort of like change timings and stuff. So then we had the snow. Yeah, a lot of environmental stuff. So we had, yeah, like the snow was, was a big one. You know, we had one of the scenes takes, or one of the shows, the episodes takes place in the winter. So we had to snow up a, a non-snowed section of, uh, of the, the town. Yeah, we snowed up the, the house during the middle of the heat wave last August, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the practical effects guys did a great job with with putting the practical snow just around like the action areas and on the lawn and stuff. But we had to do... Tree replacements and all that. There was a lot of trees. There's a lot of full green trees. And, and Seth was kind of like... How are we going to handle that? I was like, well, we can we can suck the color out of it and make them a little more autumn. He's like, mm. you know, because I was what I was trying to avoid was having to replace the whole tree because then you're going to have this bare tree and you're going to see all the neighborhood behind the tree that it's kind of occluding, and that's what we ended up doing. And it looks great. <laughs> it looks great. So. I just remember being on set and they would always ask you, Blair, do you have the artwork for this? Do you have the artwork for this? Yeah. <laughs> Every day. The snow behind the house. There's a lot of taking uh, California and making it Framingham, Massachusetts. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of East Coast tree work. Yeah. That no one will ever notice or see. It's flawless. Did Fuse do that? Well, the stuff that was shot in Griffith Park was uh, Framestore. Right, right. Framestore did some of the establishers in some of the episodes and then fused it as well. They kind of split the work. Yeah. That load alone is enough to keep a show going. And then we had a uh, fully realized main character. It's a lot to imagine as you go. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of those things that you read in the script and you don't think there's any visual effects. And then you're told that when you're shooting this long scene in Griffith Park that none of these trees are East Coast trees. So we're going to have to... Um, change change these trees <laughs> it's like what yeah and then locations would find a video a video store and it's fine but it's like okay well now we're going to make it a 1993 video store and that that's yeah, credit yeah. to them yeah. oh oh and driving plates driving plates <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yes driving plates like that out <laughs> yes uh period appropriate driving plates oh. sometimes you know i'm not ruining a scene sometimes on top of a car which means you yes. have none of the none of the um, the things that help you sort of fake it. And credit to Seth again, you know, bad trans lights and crappy driving plates make him crazy because you're trying to focus on the comedy and the scene, and then you know that they're not actually in the car. And in the movies, a lot of the time they shot right, Blair, like they those were in the car, some of it. 
Yeah, in the car, and you know, and if we did do a driving plate, it would be scheduled so that we shot that driving plate in this exact same path during the exact same lighting and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So it is a little different. So there was a, a lot of thinking, and one of those things again where they try to build a better mousetrap, but then in the end, there was a lot of high level work, and I, I think all the car scenes look extremely real. Yeah, which is helpful, especially when Ted is drunk and decides to crash the car <laughs> yeah. in the Halloween episode. <laughs> yeah. We talked a lot about visual effects and with good reason, we should really shift a little bit to the story itself. You know, when you're watching a Seth MacFarlane project, it's always about pushing the envelope. Do you look at things and go, that just went a little too far. We've got to dial that back a little bit. The network and the studio were actually pretty good about letting the comedy be i mean the trick was and this is because it's impossible there were a lot of like pacing notes because they would see you know the bear is just not there in some of the cuts they get so it's just a voice and and a plate that kind of does this so that's that was the trick there they they had a couple of good suggestions narratively and also like maybe like there's one too many joke runs but really the brain trust with Seth, you know, and he's been doing this a long time. So we didn't really have to pull back on anything. If anything, on a couple of occasions, they're like, yeah, you could just take it a step further, you know? <laughs> yeah. It certainly doesn't seem like it's yeah. pulled back. It took a little for everyone getting used to because they're used to seeing cuts with all the characters in and all the sound design, and all the thing, but it's like, here's 42 minutes of people talking to a stick. You know, yeah. Yeah. with with sound design we had in, but we don't, you know, just trust because we actually had the mixed team from the Orville at uh, John Greasley and Tom O um, and who did an amazing job. So the bears, like once we got it to there, it really got fleshed in. But, you know, the, no one got to see that till the end. So each of you came into this with certain skills that you could apply in certain experiences you already had. But for all of you, what do you walk away from Ted having learned? What is something new in your bag of tricks that you take away from being on this project? Go ahead, Justin. Come on. Yeah, Justin, go ahead. Oh, boy. I mean, <laughs> uh, I'd say the biggest thing I'm walking away from this is kind of like a sense of empowerment and just realizing everybody on this show is kind of figuring it out as we go. So, like, you know, why, why not me? But yeah, I mean, just coming into this with a stubborn attitude of like, I'll figure this out regardless of what time I leave tonight. Uh, just, yeah, leaving now with a sense of like, I can do that. <laughs> I think also trust the process because of the television mindset. It's unnerving to bring the feature application to the television mindset. And, um, you know, I was pretty dug in about that, that it was going to work. But, you know, even once in a while, I'd be like, yeah, I don't that's that's a that's a long walk up the stairs but we had a time where if it didn't work either either blair and the vfx gang would would make it better or combine two different concepts like when ted falls down the stairs or you know we trim it up or we change it around so there was room to play so just trust the process yeah i actually think this would be a great learning process for an editor that just cuts strict non-visual effects stuff the thing is is that the machine moves pretty fast so the learning curve is is steep you could be a really great comedy editor on a show like this or even a drama editor but if you can't understand the technicals and the organic nature of putting it all together you you can get swallowed up pretty fast for me i would say i mean with no visual effects background i just learned the entire 
visual effects process of this show from pre-production to post. And when I was on set, sometimes people would ask me what the gray ball that I was holding was. And thanks to Blair, I could answer them. And <laughs> it was a great learning experience. And Blair taught me so much and hope to work with them all again. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the same way. It's like, it's just, you know, every, every show is different. And, you know, this one, by all means, became a family. And, you know, Seth is always enjoyable to work with and amazing to watch and to learn from. And I learned something on every single show, and it's always different. The only thing that's consistent is... Um, the notes I have to give to the companies of like you need to <laughs> you need to enunciate the F in that in that word. I'm not even going to ask what that word was. <laughs> no, it's always the same. It's always the same. It was a it was a constant note. Yes, if there's one thing you can count on in TV, it's notes and F words, and notes about the F words, and of course F words about the notes. It's a vicious cycle or circle. Thank you to Tom Blair, Ali, and Justin for our little TED talk. They certainly brought some new angles to the podcast and gave some great insight to puppeteering and post-production. If you would like a career as a puppeteer, well, who could blame you? Blair and Allie make it sound like a lot of fun. But if you want a career in the sometimes prosperous and exciting world of film and TV editorial, put down your teddy bear and pick up a copy of Avid Media Composer. It is never too early to discover how Hollywood's most trusted NLE can maximize your storytelling skills and your career prospects. And bonus, it's easy to get started. You just click that link in the show notes that says Media Composer and it will whisk you away on a magical carpet ride to avid.com. Okay, it is always sad when we have to say goodbye, but it's especially hard when I know I won't see you next week. But we will get back together again. And when we do, you can count on us meeting more amazing film and TV makers. Until then, this is Matt Fury thanking you for joining me right here on The Rough Cut. <laughs>